Welcome back to the Huxley Morton podcast. This week we are back again with another episode focusing on mental health and the impact of mental health in the workplace. Uh, I'm pleased to say that I am joined by Mel Newman of Mind Oxygen this week. Mel, um, I know that you have kindly run a course for myself and the Huxley Morton team previously, uh, but look, for our audience and those tuning in, if you could give us a bit of an, an overview of what you do, um, because I'm sure I probably wouldn't do it justice because there's a few facets to it. Absolutely. Thank you, James. Yeah, it was great meeting you, obviously, on one of our courses. So I actually started my career in the emergency services in Scotland. Right. Um, and then I embarked on a 30 year career within airline um, medical aviation. And then more latterly, I moved into mental health, first aid and mental health training in general. Um, I'm the founder of Mind Oxygen, like you said, which is a training consultancy. And we focus primarily on mental health and wellness. I also look at employability and mentoring young um, athletes with their wellness. We so we sort of deliver the range of uh, mental health first aid courses in England and Scotland. I also work with Kickstart and Future Creators, helping young unemployed people uh, into the workplace. Wow, there's quite there's more to it than I, I actually thought, Mel. So I'm glad that I did get you to do the introduction rather than myself trying to do that, because I don't think I would have got in half <laughs> uh, of that. So look, thanks very much uh, for that. Look, as I said, um, myself and the Huxley Morton team went through the mental health first aid course, as, as you covered, which was very, very useful. Um, I guess some parts yeah, made me a little uncomfortable, but I guess, you know, that's I guess sometimes part of the process, isn't it? Just getting out your side of your comfort zone and speaking Definitely. about mental health rather than just sweeping it under the rug. Mm -hmm. um, so you touched on your background um, there of over 30 years and, you know, uh, the aviation uh, industry. Look, I guess, how did the, the focus perhaps in this field, then come about? You know, give us an, an overview of your experience from the, the police force and the aviation sector that perhaps then led to, to where you are now and what you're now doing. So, yeah, I started my career um, as a police constable in my early 20s. And, you know, I worked out, I don't know how many of you know, Scotland and Edinburgh, but I worked out by the fourth road. So the famous three bridges. Um, and at that time, as a police constable in the you know, early 90s, there was no mental health training. So nothing really prepared me for my first night shift. Very eager and enthusiastic, volunteered to go out to a call in the middle of the night on one of the bridges. And I still remember it resonates with me. A young gentleman sitting on the bridge thinking about taking his own life and with no training, I was the one that went forward and had that conversation with him. Wow. And, you know, if I think about that conversation now, it would be so different because I did so many things wrong but mm -hmm. I am happy to say the police and you know all the emergency services are really well trained in mental health um, first aid training but at that time nothing could prepare me and I still remember it I still remember his face I still remember the conversation so it really was the catalyst for me to think about actually I want to move into a training a learning and development career and then I moved into aviation medicine and I joined first of all Emirates Airline out in Dubai and then more recently in more locally with Virgin Atlantic as a medical trainer. Wow. Out of interest, Mel, how, how new were you into the job when that situation came first about? Night first night shift. First night shift. But how, oh, yes. long you, how long had you been in, in the job? Like 
when first was day. it? It was first day on the fourth. Oh, so, so not just your first done... night shift, first day, because I was wondering yeah. if you were straight into night shifts, because a, yeah. a few of my friends are in the, the place. Um, and yeah, I guess I'm often done either nine to fives, but then shift work. So I, I wasn't, so literally yeah. first day yeah. you are in at yeah. the deep end there. I, well, funnily, it's funny you ask that question because I actually got to shift early mm. and it actually wasn't my shift that got called out. Um, and they said, look, do you want to come along? This will you know, be a really good experience for you. And so, you know, I was, yeah, definitely. I definitely want to come out and, you know, learn how to deal with these things. And so, um, yeah, first night shift. Certainly remember that night shift. Oh, I'm lucky to say that we were very fortunate on that instance. We were able to, to talk to him. We got there in time and we were able to get him the support he needed. Mm. And uh, do you know... I mean, do you know the individual now? Is was there any other ever any follow up from that, or is it kind of you done your bit and just pleased that you managed to resolve yeah. the situation at the time? Yeah, absolutely. No, at that time there wasn't any follow up. Um, but what we did know was um, just through going into the hospital, you know, on a regular basis, we knew that um, he was getting the help he needed, and he'd had an, a medical uh, mental health assessment, mm. uh, which was great. Because, you know, early intervention is just so important. And, you know, sometimes we weren't fortunate. We didn't get there in time. We weren't able to. But um, that was the thing that really drove me to want to learn more around having a safe and supportive conversation, having mm -hmm. the confidence to go in and listen effectively and non-judgmentally um, and get them the, the, the help they need. Sure. So look, from, from there, I mean, as I say, you couldn't get any more in the deep end in terms of career paths uh, with that one. So I can see where the, the catalyst was for, for your, you know, yeah. then, then career. So where did it go from there? You mentioned the, the aviation sector and you said that things were, I guess, a lot different back then. So if you could perhaps paint a picture of how things looked back then, what the attitudes towards mental health in the workplace were like, because yeah. Yeah, for me, I only now seem to be, you know, see things plastered over social media. Um, and that's because it's social media. Everyone has access to it. But even when I was working in the city kind of early 2000s, there was no talk about mental health or anything. Um, so how did it look back then when, when you were, I guess, first starting out and starting to pave your way in this in this field? It's yeah, it's a really interesting question because I think actually when I worked with Virgin Atlantic, we were very dynamic. We were very quick, um, and there was reasons for that. Uh, so I don't know if you remember the German Wings incident. Mm. Um, so I was working for Virgin Atlantic, and it was around about 2015, and we had the incident where a carrier owned by the German airline um, Lufthansa crashed into the Alps, and it was a it was a young co-pilot who deliberately brought the aircraft down in the French. Helps, um, you know, killing himself and all all, all the passengers. Wow. Um, and at the time of the incident, we had no mental health first aid training in the workplace. Mm. So it was really interesting how quickly the civil aviation and the airlines worked together. So there was a directive from the civil aviation to bring in mental health first aid training for all pilots and crew. And I was one um, of a team of two that got qualified and we went up to London and became qualified as mental health first aiders. And we were able to start delivering these courses into our leadership teams. So that was really good early intervention in 2015. You know, mental health first aid training, the, the courses 
that I deliver that I'm qualified in, actually started in Scotland in 2007 and mm-hmm. then moved into to, to England in 2009. But there has been that delay in, a, in take up, but it is a global course. So we see it all over the world. But, you know, I do think back then, uh, we have seen significant changes. If we think about, you know, closing down of the old asylums, we're moving care into the community. We're seeing an increase in talking therapies. But, you know, society and, and within the workplace, there was huge stigma and discrimination. Society believed, you know, somebody with a mental health illness um, was likely to be violent and dangerous. Mm-hmm. And the media portrayed mental ill health with violence or as a criminal or dangerous or evil. So there was this real um, stigma around, well, if you have a mental illness, one, you can't function and two, you're likely to be dangerous, which is absolutely not true. We know somebody with a mental illness is more likely to be the victim of discrimination and violence um, mm. than, than to be violent to yourselves. Yeah, it's, just, I, I, it's the media in general, they, they want to, you know, publicise the, the shocking reports and it doesn't do this sector any favours, does it? You know, it's kind of, um, yeah, something that they need to perhaps have a look at internally in the media because it's just, it's just not on really because it, it does create that stigma. Um, but I know that... Yeah, people like yourself and various other advocates are doing everything in your power to, I guess, reverse that, really. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things we talk about on our course is the language that we use Mm. and to start challenging the language that we use so that we can start to break it down. And let's just make it visible. Let's have a parity of esteem between physical illness and mental illness. And let's make it bring your whole self to work and have a safe environment. And that's what our courses do. I do think there's been some really good campaigns like the Time to Change campaign in 2011 made a serious dent to mental health stigma. You know, Mm. the me campaign is another one that's really worked hard to change um you know mental health language and stigma and discrimination however you know just recently we're talking about the media and i saw something front page of the media saying and this was last year in the midst of covid living through a pandemic where we know stress and anxiety is on the increase Mm. and we see the front page saying a nation hooked on happy pills Mm. You know, depression is the leading cause of global dis- um, disability so we have to take a responsibility that's just not acceptable it's mm. not acceptable to portray it because you know that's going to prevent people from coming forward and disclosing a mental illness uh, it's, it's unlikely that person's going to share that mental illness when they see the media portraying it as a nation on, ha- on happy pills mm. and I think there has been since then some positive action and made by people around that with dr alex and post your peel and i see a lot of that going on on linkedin now which is you know quite good uh to see you know trying to break down that that stigma stigma should i say so yeah i think there is positive action but yeah i think rightly so that the media have a lot to answer for with um creating a storm at times that is just not necessary so look mel i, I guess moving on i know that um look we've been on on your mental health first a course and um you know as i said very very valuable particularly for myself because i i think i first approached you through a mutual connection with lee fell who's been on on our podcast previously Mm -hmm. um and it was because there was mental health uh challenges um kind of on my own doorstep um close family and i wanted 
to understand a little bit more about the subject. You know, I was quite happy to hold my hands up and say that mm. I'm pretty ignorant on the subject, or certainly I, I was a lot more ignorant than what, what I am now. Um, but I wanted to just try and educate myself um, to what was going on and how to manage these things. So look, for, for our audience, I mean, what would you say are the most common mental health conditions um, that are out there? I think it's important just firstly to say what is mental health so mm-hmm. because very often I find on the courses people they're not sure what it actually is and I think a good parameter is to understand first of all we all have mental health good or bad a bit like physical health you mm-hmm. know it's always on the move it's not static and it is how we feel think and behave it's how we cope with ups and downs bounce back build resilience we've never seen you know a more challenging time than obviously living through the pandemic Mm. it's how we see ourselves how we manage our stress our self-esteem you know that good cognitive functioning Um, and so when we think about mental health when mental health is considered a disability it's when we have long-term effects on a person's normal day-to-day activities and it impacts on us longer term um so the common mental health conditions, the, the sort of top three in England, are first of all, um, mixed anxiety and depression. And that comes from the latest statistics that I've taken from the Mental Health Foundation. And they say about 1,800 people. Um, but the estimated cost is one fifth of working days lost to Britain. So, you know, it pays to invest in a mental health strategy. But, you know, also to understand what when I say mixed anxiety, anxiety disorders, there's many types of anxiety disorders. Hmm. So the the main ones are general anxiety disorder, panic disorder, phobias, post-traumatic stress disorder, acute stress disorder, and obsessive compulsive disorder. So many people with anxiety problems don't fit neatly um, into one type of anxiety disorder. It's more common for people to have some features of several anxiety disorders, um, and a long period of anxiety can lead to depression. So Mm. those are sort of the most common ones. I think just to rewind a little bit there, Mel, could you just tell us that statistic again about the working days lost? Because I think this was something that came up on the course that, that I did and our team did. And I just was, it was staggering the amount of, of days off. And that's where I looked at it. And yeah, obviously as a business, you know, we're, we're trying to improve people's awareness on these, uh, on the subject, but just the amount of days lost makes it, a commercial decision that people need to stand up and take notice of. So if you could just give us that stat again, because yeah, that was one of the huge eye openers for me when um, sort of hearing it now and and I recall back to the course as well. Yeah, there's a really good report that was published by Deloitte in 2020 and they've got a lot of good stats and you've got to remember that was pre COVID, you know? Mm. So we know that it um, mixed anxiety and depression, one, it's a global disability. So it's just not partial to, you know, the UK, it's globally, but it's estimated that eight um, in a hundred people at any given time will be experiencing mixed anxiety and depression. Mm. And that's estimated to cost us one fifth of days lost in Britain. I think last year's statistics was 72 million working days were lost in the UK to stress, anxiety and depression. But that's the ones we know about, because we also know presenteeism is costing us a huge amount. And that's where somebody is turning up to work 
with an undisclosed mental illness and not able to present and not able to perform at the level they normally would. So these statistics are all mirrored by, actually, we probably don't know a lot because a lot of people won't disclose. Mm. Wow, it's just, yeah, as I say, astonishing to think that there's that many cases and probably that's not even scratching the surface because, as you say, a lot of them are under the radar. Mm-hmm. Um, so look, thinking, I guess, out loud under the radar, how can people assess or identify their levels of, of anxiety? Yeah, I think it's such a great question. We know that living through COVID stress and anxiety has increased and that we all experience anxiety. We all experience low mood, but clinical diagnosis is very different because the difference is it's longer lasting. It's it's definitely more than two weeks plus, especially with depression. That's how it's initially starting to be diagnosed. It's Mm. more severe and it impacts our day-to-day well-being and overall functioning. So it's going to impact on our work, our life, our relationships, our self-esteem. Um, So one of the things I always signpost people to in the the, the course is, first of all, understand the signs and symptoms. You know, it's almost like a check tick box to see, actually, am I presenting with these signs and symptoms and how long have I been feeling like this? Mm -hmm. So people like mind or Mental Health Foundation or Rethink UK are really good uh, charities with factual evident um, information. So I would signpost people there. The other thing that you can do is look at the NHS Mood Zone, and that is um, a series of questions. So it's free, it's on at the NHS, which we know is reliable and evident. And then it's a free questionnaire about how you're feeling over the last two weeks. It's not intended to be used as a diagnosis, but it just helps you to actually identify and assess how strong maybe your anxiety and depression is and how it's impacting on you. So it just might be a really good place to start. Of course, if you are um, you really struggling, I would always signpost you to your GP because this assessment is not intended to replace a consultation. Yeah. But if you're struggling, it just might be a good place to start and go, oh, okay, let me take notice of this. So I definitely think if you start to feel it's impacting on your day-to-day life, that's maybe where I would go. It's a really quick, easy tool to use. Well, we'll definitely make sure that we get all of the links uh, there hooked up with uh, everything that goes out with the the show, uh, Mel. And I guess, you know, following on from there, because I think, as you say, everyone at some point has felt anxious about something, uh, whether it's deciding what to have to um, for for dinner, to where to go out, to, to, you know, to to much bigger things. Um, So. In terms of, I guess, the next steps there, if, you know, that anxiety is causing real panic and it leads to a panic attack, what is your advice? Um, you know, what should people do if, if they do suffer, you know, a, a panic attack as a result of this? It's really interesting, James, you're saying this because I've been speaking to quite a lot of people as we sort of we navigate returning back to work and, you know, moving from that working from home to that hybrid working. I've spoken to a lot of people where they've experienced panic attacks just with the anxiety of returning back to the workplace. So it's something we used to train our frontline crew, obviously coming from an aviation background. We used to have passengers that would come on board with a real fear of flying. flying. So it's something that I've been training um, for a long, long time. And first of all, I think it's just understanding 
Panic attacks are a rush of intense mental and physical symptoms, and it can come on really, really quickly for no apparent reason. But it's very frightening and very distressing because the symptoms are very physical. So I think the things you can do yourself is don't fight it. Um, stay where you are. If possible, sit down because obviously we know it's going to manifest physically. So your breathing will increase. You mm. may start to feel dizzy and nauseous. You may get chest pain, choking sensation, because there's, there's going to be a lot around the respiratory. So I would just sit down and then just try to breathe slowly and deeply. Remind yourself it will pass. Normally this can last from five to sort of 20 minutes, um, but try and focus on relaxing images and positive things. But also remember it's not life-threatening. If you are with someone, get them to stay with you. That person should speak slowly, should reassure them. Um, the NHS, again, have got some really good um, tips on how to manage this. So they've got some audio tapes around breathing techniques. And that's where we're going to breathe in through the mouth and out through the nose, breathing in, um, counting steadily from one to five. In through the mouth and out through the nose. Oh, see, I, I wouldn't have thought of that. Mm -hmm. See, again, like being a fitness person liking to go to the gym I you know to relax after a, a big workout I was almost trying to expand the lungs it was always in through the, the nose and out through the mouth so it's you would say it's in through the mouth and out through the nose yeah absolutely yeah definitely oh, and then, yeah. but it's also it's also remembering you might not be able to do that initially for those five you know counts to five so just do it for one two three and then you're gonna um without pausing you're going to obviously let it flow out gently counting to one to five again but keep mm -hmm. doing this for three to five minutes the thing we used to teach our crew uh is, is something called grounding techniques and mm -hmm. it's around because somebody was on an aircraft they couldn't get off the aircraft so it was around managing the environment so we use the five four three two one method it's quite a common uh, commonly known method mm -hmm. so we would say to a passenger tell me five things you can see or if it was in the office, five things you can see, it might be a clock on the wall, it might be the window, it might be your hands, it might be a tree outside, it might be a plant. And then we're going to ask them to describe those five things they can see. So I'll be turning around and starting to look. Then four things you can feel, it might be a computer, a phone, a wallet, something you're wearing, the ground, the chair. Three things that are audible to you. Two things you can smell, which is trickier to do, but you know, you might have um, a candle on or you might smell coffee, so, or your clothes. And then one positive thing. Now they say one thing you can either taste or one positive thing um, about yourself. And right. that's called grounding. And hopefully doing this with your eyes open, speaking it out loud if you're on your own will also help. But teach a friend or a colleague or a family member about these grounding techniques and why you need them. And practice it when you're calm. That can also be really useful. Mm -hmm. We found that was really effective when we were um, training our frontline crew to deal with these situations on board aircraft. Interesting. And how many of those did you have to run through yourself uh, at any time during your uh, stint with the airways, Mel? <laughs> no, I, do you know, it's interesting. When I lived out in Dubai for a little while, um, I experienced panic attacks. And again, I was in my early 20s. Um, mm. I was working out in Dubai for Emirates Airline as frontline crew. Um, it was during the Gulf War. And I started to experience um, unknown anxiety, actually, and panic attacks. Mm. And it was, it's a very, very scary thing. But now I can look back and go, actually, you know, these were panic attacks. 
Mm. Uh, I was experiencing I think anything to do with breathing you feel like you're hyperventilating you can also feel like you know there's a real fear of dying because there's such a a lot around cardiovascular respiratory uh, manifestations and how it presents itself I think that's certainly very useful for anyone listening in is yeah being able to identify and I guess the key message there is knowing that you can deal with it and it's going to pass so you know, that I think will, a lot of people will take value um, in that side of things. Now, I guess another thing that we touched on uh, when we done the course, uh, the team and I, was about a mental health MOT. Now, when I saw the question, I was just thinking, I think MOT, I think car, not in a life of me, did I ever think about running a mental health MOT? So when, when you asked me the question, I was like, have I when when was the last time I ran a, a mental health MOT I was like never I've not even heard of the term <laughs> so like, if you could um, explain what that is and yeah how to how to perform a, a mental health MOT please yeah it, it's interesting you're saying you've never done one James it's funny because we, so we started to introduce this uh into our mental health post aid courses and I do them across all my courses now mm. uh, probably about four months ago and interestingly still now I always do a poll when we're doing the online training at least 50% of people say they've never done one and then of course the next question is well what is it how do I do it so my whole self MOT is something um, that we've introduced and what does it actually look like well it's basically just starting to think about you know my whole self and it's just checking in on a regular basis whether it's weekly monthly quarterly but some of the questions we're going to be asking is how do I feel mentally and physically Mm. how did I sleep last night Um, am I eating a balanced diet am I drinking enough water reducing my caffeine you know I remember doing a course in my early days of being a mental health first aid trainer it was in the care sector and we were doing face to face and one of the the girls was uh, experiencing palpitations Mm. and when we actually started to talk her through asking some of the questions she was drinking eight red bulls a day you know, that was uh, on top of the coffee and all the other. Sounds cats. like me at times. <laughs> but, you know, let's be honest. So we all, I probably drink too much coffee. So, you know, mm. I probably could do with uh, looking at that. But also thinking about stress is a huge part of um, long term unmanaged stress is a real part of leading to burnout and we know that one in four people in the UK at the moment are saying they're a week away from burnout so stress is so important to manage so we talk about our stress container and and I'll talk about that maybe a little bit in more detail but how full is your stress container what are you doing to manage it what are your coping mechanisms you know are they working and are those coping mechanisms positive or negative so obviously the red bulls the caffeine maybe the you know the alcohol aren't Mm. so aren't so positive um and also you know how is my thinking today how is it impacting on everything around me is it glass half full half empty and how long has this been going on how is it making me feel so these are all the things just a general checklist of yeah how i think you know what am i doing what's working what's not how how's it all going how could i improve this effectively i I mean when you put it like that i guess maybe i do (laughs) run mental health checks much more often what than what i i think but i i just never thought about it in the sense of an mot as it may be yeah absolutely and maybe write it down you know if um if you're starting to notice it's been going on for a while mm. because the longer we have this undisclosed 
um, signs, these early warning signs, you know, we really want to try and spot them early so we can get some help. So maybe write it down and go, gosh, okay, this has now been two weeks. Maybe I need to start thinking about some other things to help. Yeah, very, very good point. So knock back on the, or cut back, should I say, not knock back, probably completely inappropriate, <laughs> but yeah, cut back on the Red Bull and all of the energy drinks. And um, yeah, just stop paying attention to, to what you're doing and uh, try and create some positive habits, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Well, I, I guess, um, I think the other thing that you mentioned when you and I last jumped on a call, and I hadn't come across it, but it was something that you signposted me towards, uh, was a lady called Vanessa King. Um, and five yeah. ways to wellness so I made a note of it at the time when we last spoke mm. um, I mean if you could give us a bit of an insight as to, to what that is all about I'm guessing that that goes hand in hand with a mental health um, sort of check MOT yeah. however you want to label it if you if you will. Yeah, definitely. I think it's it's also probably sits aligned with some of the top tips I would say to manage your mental health. Right. So Vanessa, Vanessa King is um, the psychologist that has introduced the five ways to wellness. It's quite a recognized um, framework now. She's done a really great TED talk where she really talks about the five ways to wellness and the, the 10 keys to happiness is now mm. sort of expanded. But I one of the one of the first things she talks about is connection. You know, and I, we've certainly been challenged with that, haven't we, through the through the lockdown and not being able to see family and relatives. Mm. So I, I think when we do notice that we're starting to, you know, we're just not our normal self. We're starting to notice a low mood, starting to notice that our mental health is maybe dipping. You know, build a strong network, you know, connect with other people, learn to be emotionally genuine and, and authentic to those that are close to you, because it can be an absolute game changer when we talk and mm. talking you know, let's make mental illness visible. Let's make mental health visible. Let's talk about it. Let's talk it out when our, wor our, our worries start spiraling. Let's not be afraid to talk about it. Let's really brush away and put stigma and discrimination you know, in our spam. Yeah. Let's, um, let's let's get off our chest and help to relieve it. So that's what she's she, she's saying, you know, connect with people, but also connect with self, which is what your MOT uh, checklist is. Mm. Um, but also know how to deal with things when you are starting to feel anxious. So think about all those coping mechanisms, but also choose people who will support you and not judge you. And we do a lot of this in the course. We talk a lot around judgment, non-judgmental listening, frames of reference, unconscious bias. And then the second thing they talk about is, re you know, exercise regularly. Now, I know you're really good at that. You know, you're really good at getting up in the mornings. And you said on the course, this was one of the things you and your wife do, which mm. is fantastic. You know, it's been clinically proven that exercise can be as effective for treating mild to moderate depression as antidepressants. So wow. let's, you know, particularly aerobic exercise, it can be really good for reducing stress um, and releasing that kind of tension. So it also encourages, you know, your brain to release uh, serotonin, um, which can improve your mood. So that's discussed, obviously. On in that, Mel, the does the aerobic, because I mean, sometimes, yeah, I'll go and hit on to um, an air bike and absolutely annihilate myself uh, with a, a hit class type uh, thing in, in my home gym. Other times I'll just get up and go for a walk. Absolutely. So does it matter what, what level of that 
is it? No, I think it's just important that, you know, we disconnect. We, I think at the moment we've got an always on culture. We're able mm. to work from home. We can we check in on emails 24 seven, seven days a week. So I think it's so important just to, to bring in some regular exercise, whether it's walking, whether it's running, cycling, playing golf, going fishing, whatever it is, you know, different strokes for different folks. But mm. I, the other thing that somebody said to me, and it goes back to the connecting, is I used to always walk. So I walk near the River Till, uh, the River Till, the River Almond in Edinburgh. Mm. I tend to walk about, try and do my 10,000 steps during my lunch hour. And I always listen to music, <laughs> a bit of a mm. Nashville fan. Nashville fan. Yeah. Uh, and somebody said, do you ever not listen to music? Do you ever just take notice? So I've actually started to do that twice a week. I just don't do any headphones. I don't listen to anything but walk and just take notice of myself and also what's going on around me. So mm. I think, you know, that's that's really important. And then giving back is another one. You know, giving is a, a virtuous circle. If we give, give to somebody our time and our skill, not necessarily money doesn't make us feel that good, but giving our time or our skill, because it makes, when we give something to someone, it makes them feel good. We feel good. And then we give back. So it's oh, absolutely. That's why I, I love doing this podcast. I love doing the job that I do in, you know, in recruitment. I'm often, yeah, giving away so much free advice to people that, you know, reach out to me. You know, I like it when, you know, they respect my time and they've researched things. You know, I'm not just going to jump on the call, a call with anyone to help them. But yeah, if, if they've respected my time, I love it, you know, giving mm. back because it's almost selfish, the fact, because I'm getting su such a kick out of it that they don't actually, you know, they're, they're always very <laughs> thankful. But actually, I'm like, you, you know what, you're helping me here as well. Yeah. And I just think, you know, we've, we've, we've all experienced COVID in the same storm, but we're in different boats, but we've all been impacted. All generations have been impacted, you know, and across mental health, our young people, our elderly especially, have all been impacted. I really notice it when I work with the young unemployed people and mm. how I see their anxiety levels. So very often I give a couple of spaces in all of my courses to young un unemployed people, just to get them on board, just to have another qualification. Um, and I think the other thing is to, um keep learning is one of her key things so whichever way that be and you know something like this is a great way to do it but do something that that interests you but keep learning it really helps with our mental health and there's so much we can do whether it's through exercise and a you know yoga course or starting guitar online there's plenty of things that we can do mm. the other key one is to um recognize and be thankful things so gratitude and we're seeing a lot more around gratitude journals now but the interesting thing with gratitude and Vanessa King talks about the um, the research behind it that you know to say or identify three things every day that you're grateful for it can be simple things mm. like you know my loved one made me a cup of tea or whatever it might be uh, the interesting thing in the research that shows it takes minimal effort to do it minimal time but actually the research showed within a week people that were doing this every day had mood enhancement wow. so they felt better you know, so and effective. It's worth that's, that's what we like to hear, Mel. We love, love yeah. a little bit of advice that is, yeah, tips and tricks that are simple and effective. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Well, look, I, I appreciate all of those, yeah, tips, tricks, uh, advice. Um, I guess the other side of the thing is that, look, I guess I reached out to you because it was, again, personal interest and I wanted to educate myself, but it was off the back of kind of, um, yeah 
I guess, situations in, in my own family, which are, are ongoing and it's having an impact on the family, etc. So I was going to say if there's any additional tips and tricks or things that people should be aware of, um, such as yeah, the impact on, on friends, family, personal relationships, because I know with my family, it, it has had an impact that we're, we're pretty close near. We all like to have a laugh and a joke uh, with each other. But, you know, tensions do get frayed at points. Um, so, yeah, what advice would you perhaps have on, on that side of things? Yeah, look, the ripple effect for mental health can be huge, you know, how it can impact on, on family and friends. I would always say to, you know, like I said to yourself and your family, mm. learn as much as you can. Because I think if we can come to this with understanding and empathy and non-judgment, this is going to really be a supportive conversation with the person. Mm. So we do really have to park our judgments and we can only do that if we understand some of our unconscious bias. Uh, and that's something we look at a lot in our, in our conversation mm. on our courses. I think the other thing is to also you know, have those open, um, honest conversations, have boundaries. You know, you can't be 24-7 support for somebody. So do signpost people to help. There's lots of self-help out there. There's lots of 24-7 um, helplines as well for people to call. You know, it's so important we look at early intervention. So find out about the condition, understand what it is. You know, when we talk about something like a bipolar disorder, there's different types of bipolar disorder. So really get to understand it. And I, I would say somebody like Rethink UK, which is a, a mental health charity has got some brilliant fact sheets you can download them for free as does mind as does samaritans mental health foundation is another one um mm. you know maybe those five ways to wellness maybe you can do some of those things with the person you know get out and maybe walk and talk and do some exercising with them but i think it's also important for the the family members or the people that are being impacted to really think about their own stress as well you know and we we have something that we call the the stress barrel or the stress container because we know stress plays such a huge part mm. in long-term mental illness especially if it's unmanaged so really think about you know what are my stress levels like there's a lot of information again around the stress container um, but it's thinking about your individual capacity to tolerate stress how big your barrel is what are the stresses in your life and what are the things you can do um, something about so imagine your your kind of your stress container and your stresses are the water filling the container at some point it's going to get flooded mm -hmm. so we need a tap and we need to be able to keep that tap open to release all the stress that's coming in. So it's just thinking about what are the stresses that are filling up your container? What are the ones you can do something about? Especially if you've got somebody in denial, if you've got somebody, um, I worked with a gentleman um, last year who I was concerned, really concerned about uh, their mental health and, and coping mechanisms, mm. self-harm and eating disorders involved. And yeah. they were really in denial. And so it was really about thinking, okay, what are the things I can do to support them? What are the things I can't at the moment? Because you have to kind of respect where the person is mm -hmm. and not force solutions on them. So focusing on those things, I actually got him to do the stress container and starting to identify, maybe starting to understand what were the things that were maybe causing the stress that were leading to the negative coping mechanisms. And then thinking about who can help you. You know, if you do think you have things you can manage with your um, stress, 
maybe think about some of the ones that you're going to struggle with and who might be able to, to help you, but also focus on those coping mechanisms, because that tap will get clogged if we have negative coping mechanisms, you know, such as alcohol, substance misuse, not, you know, withdrawing, all those behavioral things we may do, not mm. talking to people, all of those things are going to be important. It's important to have a balance. Well, I'm glad you covered that in, in detail, Mel, because that was one of the areas of the course that I really valued because it was visual and I could go on the mental health first aid website and see a, a, a flow chart of it actually working. So um, yeah, I've, I've since signposted several people um, mm. to that stress container. Um, mm. I guess the other thing, if I ever speak to any friends, colleagues that are running businesses, nowadays I will be signposting them to perhaps speak to yourself and Mind Oxygen. Um, but look, I guess before we close the show, I guess, look, what, what's next for, for you in terms of plans for, for the future? more courses further expansion you know what yeah what's what's next in store for for male and, and mine oxygen well as you know i moved to scotland in 2020 so i've been um doing the mental health first aid courses now that they've opened up in scotland face to face which has been brilliant i do the online mental health first aid england i've just been approached by an airline to deliver their courses down south but what i'm really excited about is um you mentioned the fell earlier actually mm. so we're going to be working in collaboration uh with caritas neuro solutions so they're a clinical research a company with professionals and scientists obviously really focusing on mental health, uh, clinical interventions and drugs. And we're going to be setting up a training division with them. I'm actually meeting uh, uh, Lee on Friday, which wow. can be absolutely brilliant because we'll be able to really utilize the latest evidence and resources around this and bring this into our courses. And then the other really exciting thing, actually, I'm starting our first one in June, is we're going to be running mental health uh, resonance retreats in Aaron. So we're going to be doing four days and we're going to be incorporating and working with yoga teachers, psychologists. Um, we're going to look at different ways to wellness. We're going to go kayaking. You know, we're going to go out trekking, but we're also going to run some mental health courses and the mental health first aid course as well. Sounds amazing. So well, you can probably sign Lee, Lee up for the yoga. I, I think she's been doing a yoga course <laughs> I recently, I, yeah. I know. <laughs> it's actually one of, uh, it's Heather that works for Caris, uh, Car Caritas Neurosolutions is a psychologist and a yoga teacher. So uh, I'll be working with her. But it's really going to be fantastic because these mental health courses can sometimes be quite triggering. So we're going to be teaching it in a really mindful setting um, where we've got the space mm. to just relax and take in and absorb and reflect and also do, you know, nice relaxing techniques like uh, meditation and yoga, etc. So, yeah, I'm really excited about that one. That sounds amazing. Well, look, we'll make sure that we tune in and, and keep um, updated on, on your story. Look, for anyone who wants to reach out to you uh, about that, Mel, I know that you're often active on, on LinkedIn. Is that the best place to get you or website? What's if you just let us know your website, that would be useful. Yeah, it's Mind Oxygen uh, Limited. Or you can get me at mel at mindoxygen.com or obviously on LinkedIn. Yeah, please reach out. It'd be great to hear from you. I'm always keen to look at working in collaboration with different organizations, see how our synergy can come together. So please do. 
Excellent. Well, look, we'll certainly hook you up with that, uh, Mel. But look, before we close the show, uh, in true Huxley Morton podcast fashion, look, we always like to wrap up with a bit of a quick fire question uh, round for you. Uh, <laughs> okay. So look, I, I will kick us off. You've already given us so many tips, tricks and, and bits of advice. It's unbelievable. So thanks so much for that. But look, I'll kick us off anyway. Look, I, I guess you've had a, a very impressive career that we've, we've just heard about but given what you know now you know what advice perhaps would you give to your younger self or anyone um facing challenges with their mental health great question um you know it's interesting i uh, i've just read a, a book recently called green lights and i loved it i loved that green lights is all about finding opportunity in life mm. and so i think i would probably start um by choosing friends wisely, make sure they're the kind of people that's going to add positivity and joy to your life. Mm -hmm. And don't worry too much about what people think of you, but avoid the people that bring you down and judge. Pop them, like I said, into your spam. And also, I, I did a course when I was at Virgin mm. uh, called Springboard, and it was working with senior leadership um, teams, and particularly women, just to find out how they got to where they were. And what always resonated with me was one woman saying, you know, what you should do in the workplace is choose one or two mentors to help you develop professionally, but also to strengthen your confidence and self-esteem. Uh, and I think that is really vital to have that support within the workplace. So go and find somebody you really admire and then ask them to mentor you, ask them to develop you, but not only professionally, also around all those soft skills and mental wellness and check into your, your MOT regularly, you know, do that regular MOT. Solid, solid advice there, Mel, I have to say, because I think, yeah, I'm always saying that you are the average of the five or six people that you surround yourself with. And also the other thing that I often say is that there is no shortcut to success in life, but if there is one, it's finding a successful mentor and asking them to tell you what they've done Absolutely. <laughs> that is you know probably the only way that you're ever going to shortcut it um and look, no, James one thing my hmm. brother always says to me is um and he's probably one of my mentors uh, albeit he lives far far away in Asia but he always says to me you're the orchestra of your own you're the um you orchestrate your own life you know, take charge of it. And I, I'm very much my philosophy. And I also worked with a, a gentleman at Emirates who was uh, Singaporean. And he, he said to me in my 20s, Mel, every two years, learn a, learn a new skill, learn something that's going to develop you and nourish you. And I've always done that. It's always stood by me. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. I like that. Well, look, you mentioned a book a, a second ago, but um, that one of the questions we always ask our guests is about perhaps what's on their reading list whether it's number one book or resource that they would recommend for our audience oh okay it's um i think the resources that i've mentioned you know the factual ones around finding out more would definitely be those charities i've mentioned so rethink uh, mind samaritans mental health foundation are great uh, those are my go-to um, and also you know obviously the who but because i know the factual evidence base there's a lot of information out there that isn't necessarily um correct information the book i go to i'm always about you know finding better ways to improve myself i love learning so the one you know that's i think at my bedside table at the moment is daring greatly 
with uh, Dr. Brené Brown. Mm -hmm. I love a storyteller. Yeah, I'm a storyteller when I deliver my courses. But this is um, Dr. Brené Brown has also done a brilliant TED talk and a Netflix documentary. So if a book's not your thing, she can go on there. But it basically, she's a psychologist that draws on 16 years worth of extensive research and experience to explore uh, courage and vulnerability and shame and how we, if we embrace vulnerability, we're probably gonna dare more greatly. It's just a unique blend of warmth, humor and stories. Um, so I guess I dare you to read the book. <laughs> fantastic I like it I like it I have to get it on the reading list um look we've talked a lot about tips tricks advice courses websites links etc what what's your own personal go-to for stress relief oh you know it's really interesting last year when I did I, there's two things I do and I try and embed them in in, in my weekly um, stress buster. So the mm -hmm. first thing somebody said to me on one of my courses last year, we were doing an online course and we were talking about the five ways to wellness and exercise. And they're not the first person to say, say this or the only person. They said they have, um, when they work from home, they've used their commute time to exercise. They said, I'd normally be commuting for an hour either way. So I just do something. And I thought, oh, I love that. So mm. I've started doing yoga. I've started getting up at, you know, 7, 7.30 and doing 30 minutes of yoga, which I've now just kind of embedded into my life. But when I'm really stressed, I love to box. So mm. I, I've been brought up with it. It's a great way to release stress through punching the heavy bags and sparring. It helps my brain to be healthy. Um, my mm. dad was a boxer. And so, so I, I normally do a few rounds um, on the bag or speed balls and then kind of 10, 10 minutes sit up in routine. It takes about an hour for me to do it. But um, sometimes I lack motivation when I'm really stressed. So Don't we do all? Don't we all? I do virtual <laughs> sessions. So my brother's a boxing coach. He's out in um, Hong Kong and mm. South Africa. He commutes between the two. So I rope him in to doing a, a virtual session with me. I always work harder. <laughs> Good man. I like that. And look, um, yeah, funny you should mention that. Obviously, you know that I'm big into boxing myself, but the, the yoga there, I know when lockdown first came in here in the uk lucy got quite heavily into yoga as well and was doing 30 minutes in the morning sarah beth yoga i think it was on youtube oh it's fantastic like some yeah. of the some of the things just so much on there so yeah anyone tuning in sarah beth yoga check that out it's it's well worth mm -hmm. it and boxing that i'm i'm always yeah. going to give that a huge thumbs up yeah. um so to, to finalize the show uh mel um I guess, yeah, finally, what is the number one piece of advice that you would give to anyone, um, friends, colleagues, work colleagues, um, experiencing early signs of difficulties with their mental health? You know, it's, it's, um, it's so important that early intervention, you know, is key in helping people. And, you know, when we just go back to some of the statistics, it was one in six people experienced mental illness in any given week, pre-COVID. So we know it's going to be much more than that. Everybody has mental health. I just say, you know, let's make it visible. Let's talk about it. Let's encourage a workplace environment where it's safe and supportive to be open about mental health. And let's really talk about it and listen to the person. Let's normalize it. Um, and let's really challenge the stigma around it. When we hear language that's not appropriate, challenge it in a really educational way. But I think the only way we can make it visible is to talk about it, which is what we're doing. Mm. 
Definitely. And I think that that is the message that needs to get out there more and more, I guess. Um, yeah, for anyone who's tuning into the video version of, of this podcast, um, sometimes you will see me uh, with some of our guests where I, I am shocked. I often am a little bit out of my comfort zone, but you've just got it. You've just got to do it. And I think that that is the message that I would share with everyone as well is just talk about it. Let's get it out in the open and kind of yeah, remove that stigma around the subject. Absolutely. Well, uh, Mel, thanks so much again for jumping on the Huxley Morton podcast with me today. It's been, yeah, such a series of insights from your end. So look, very much appreciated. I'll now let you get off to um, keep well, uh, keep stress free and uh, keep doing what you're doing. We're excited to see how everything goes with the new venture. It's been brilliant talking to you. And thanks so much for having Mind Oxygen on the, the podcast. You're very much welcome. Cheers, Mel. Okay, take care. Bye.